from the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 I'll be reading from the ESV version if you have a bible you can open your bibles to book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 or you can also follow on the screen behind me In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters this is the word of the lord all right well welcome from my side uh glad to be up here today and today we're going to be beginning a new series there it is genesis some of you are excited uh and some of you might be thinking finally uh i've been talking about doing this series for a long time now actually about over a year i think uh and today we're going to be getting into it finally getting started into genesis and uh we're going to be kind of taking basically trying to build a bit of a foundation as we approach uh genesis And one of the reasons that I took so long to start it is well one I kind of was hoping to just wait on God's timing that it would be the right time to start a book like this. Uh and there's also a bit of hesitation in talking about Genesis because I know there's a wide variety of opinions and theories and thoughts on even how to read the book of Genesis and how to interpret it and whether or not it's even relevant for us today and so or significant for us to know especially as Christians. Sorry. Right as I got up, I pulled on my cable really hard after I got it all nice and organized. As a if you come here often, you know that uh, me and this microphone have a bad history. So, today we're going to get into Genesis, and I know that there's been a lot of heated debates about this, and but when we look at the book of Genesis and we talk about debates and kind of controversy, it's really mostly those first 11 chapters. of Genesis uh and so I want to kind of just give you if you don't oh, sorry golly this is I might switch microphones guys just be ready this thing doesn't fix so if we don't if you don't know the first few the first 11 chapters of Genesis is kind of really where we see a lot of these first and includes the creation narrative which is kind of where everything is created the beginning of everything including the creation of man and woman And then from there we see the fall of man as sin enters uh enters the world through the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And then we have this kind of impending kind of corruption of humanity that first we see the first murder and then that just kind of expands beyond that. Um and leads to God wiping out all of humanity in the flood and the story of Noah. And then the final narrative that we see in those first 11 chapters is the Tower of Babel. And so some pretty significant narratives right there in the first 11 chapters. If you didn't know, Moses is credited with writing the book of Genesis, and I know that there's also some debate on whether or not that's true or I I there's a lot of debate that came like, you know, thousands of years after, uh but there was a lot of consensus for a long time that he was in fact the writer, but I would say for me and how we will be reading this is that Moses is clearly the one who God inspired through the Holy Spirit uh and even though he may have assembled some text some kind of things that had been written on stone before that but it was it's the inspired word of God through Moses and that's how we're going to read it 
Now those first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are filled with a lot of mystery and intrigue if you've read through them. Uh, If not, I would encourage you to read through those first 11 chapters in the next week or so as we go through this series uh, to kind of help you to be on board with us as we kind of look at this whole picture at once. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating book, a fascinating first uh, start to the Bible. Sorry, this is, I'm, I'm switching guys, I'm switching microphones. This thing is just not. I'll see how if I can handle that. Now you can really hear me. See if I can handle holding something in my hand and don't accidentally throw it off to the side. You guys still with me? That, was, that wasn't too distracting? Just me? Okay, good. So, it's a book of firsts. Genesis is a book of firsts. And what we see is the first creation, right? Which is really the beginning of all things, the beginning of matter itself, and the first man, and the first marriage, the first uh, instance of work, the first instance of sin, and family, and cities, and blessing even. We'll see that in later in the chapter one with the first blessing that he actually gives to the animals to go and be fruitful. And so this book is a lot of first, it's a lot of foundation for the Bible. And so it's good for us to understand it. But it also raises a lot of really big questions when we read through the first 11 chapters that are often impossible or certainly near impossible for us to try and wrap our brains around, to try and understand, to comprehend. So what does this mean that God created everything and how and when and how long did it take and what processes were involved or not involved? How old is the earth and the human race? And and that's just the first, that's just chapter one. Uh, and a lot of it, is, it comes down to a lot of questions of, is this literal? Is it metaphorical? And that's even before we get to things like mentions of giants and the flood and the tower. So I imagine in this room, there probably are a several different approaches to how to read through the text of Genesis. And I know for me, and I want to be honest, and I want, I want everybody, no matter what you're, where you're coming from, to have some kind of a, a feeling of like it's okay. I'm going to preach what I believe, but I would say for me, over the last, over the years of my life, I've had several different stages in how I read through Genesis and have wrestled through a few things. I would say always, I grew up, uh, in a Christian home, and even when I was very young, I always really enjoyed reading through Genesis. It's always been one of my favorite books. It's epic, it's fantastic, it's beautiful and wondrous, and it's, it really has this larger-than-life feeling, right? I mean, there's some crazy things that are explained. I mean, we're really, even the creation of everything, it's, it's really, it kind of makes your mind wonder and your imagination kind of run wild a little bit. Uh, and it starts with this, with the infinite. It starts with a God who's eternal. It's, it's really mind, kind of mind-bending when we really think about it. And I would say that part hasn't really changed uh, since I was young. I, I still really enjoy reading through this incredible narrative um, and this kind of a stating of the beginning of all things. But that said, over the years, I have really wrestled with certain aspects of the narrative, especially in connecting it with scientific understandings of the origin of life and the universe. And I understand that we can wrestle with those things. I understand that that can be something that we maybe are not completely sure on where we land just yet. Uh, but I would say, as I've, as I've kind of grown in this and as I've prayed about it and as I've developed in my understanding of the Word of God, 
uh, I want to encourage you that you don't have to separate, you know, okay, here's what, this, here's what science says and, and here's what faith is and, and separate them as two different things. I don't think that's the right approach. In fact, I would say uh, I believe the Bible is true and ultimately science will always support what the Bible says. And I think there's a lot of really good evidence on that, but we're not going to get into a lot of that right now. And, but what I do want to encourage you is to think about your approach. How do you approach this? How are you approaching this narrative of creation? How are you approaching these chapters in Genesis? And if you are wrestling with this, or have maybe just never given it much thought, maybe you've never even read Genesis, and this is completely new to you, uh, let me just encourage you and maybe challenge you to try and to be open as we go through this in the next weeks and months, uh, looking through Genesis, and to apply the same faith that we do to all of what we look at in Scripture, right? Especially to our relationship with Jesus Christ and your salvation in Him, if you are a believer here today. Because I know that this is a debate that even uh, is amongst Christians. There's not a complete consensus. So let's at least read this and apply the same faith that we do to our relationship with Jesus Christ when we read through the narrative of creation. Because uh, I find it interesting that when I talk to a lot of Christians, uh, they, they believe in Jesus Christ, That's, they have no problem there, but for some reason when it comes to creation, uh, even a lot of Christians will immediately lose their ability to really have faith in the word of God as true. To have faith in the word of God as true, right? Sure, I believe uh, that, you know, at the same time that, that they don't want to accept creation because of what uh, science says against certain aspects of it, at the same time, they're quick to accept that God incarnate was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died to pay for our sins, was raised to new life again so that we can be raised to new life with him and live in eternity. Well, that goes against some scientific understandings of life as well. They don't really buy too much into uh, people being raised from the dead. And yet, we do believe that. And I, I found this interesting because what's something that Jesus says to the Pharisees, and this is in John chapter 5, verse 46 through 47. It says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will you will believe, how will you believe my words? Now, this is interesting because Jesus is actually challenging the Pharisees because they did believe Moses. They did believe, obviously, in the creation accounting. They believed in the law that was given through Moses. They, they had no problem believing that, but here's Jesus standing right in front of them and they don't believe that he is who he says he is. And I would say it's just as silly for us to believe, yes, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but not the writings of Moses, as if we can separate those two completely from one another. Knowing the book of Genesis matters. Knowing the book of Genesis matters. It's an incredibly important book. In fact, interesting fact, uh, the book of Genesis is either quoted directly or alluded to in some way about 200 times in the New Testament. In fact, I, I read one in one of my commentaries I was reading this week, he even said that Genesis has more in common with the New Testament than it does the Old Testament. And yet, often, we kind of tend to want to put Genesis off as, yeah, okay, that's, there's some things over there, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't really, I don't know what I need, what I think about it, or I don't know if I need to know what I think about it. The wisdom of Genesis is, is really actually fully revealed even in the New Testament, which we'll look at a little bit today. 
And when I talk about Genesis, of course, I'm not just talking about the understanding of the patriarchs of our faith, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Obviously, that's incredibly important for us to know about as well. But it's also the beginning, the foundation of all things, the origin of creation, the story of God's creating power and work, bringing all things into existence. There is a reason why the Bible starts with this, why it's important for us to know it and to understand it and to seek to understand it as best we can, applying our faith to the word of God. There's a reason it starts within the beginning. And it's important not just for some abstract reason, but it actually our understanding of the narrative of creation deepens our understanding of who God is and how we trust in him and how we know him as God and all-powerful and creator of all things. And it also deepens our understanding of who Jesus is in our life and who he is eternally and our understanding of our own faith and how it connects with our faith and how it builds our faith. I want us to use the Bible as we go through the book of Genesis over the next few weeks to help us to understand creation, to cling to the words and to seek to understand them as best we can because either the word of God is true and trustworthy or it isn't. I would say it is. It's worth trusting. I know that there's going to be there's some, there's some wiggle room and stuff. We're going to talk about that. And uh, as we, oh, tomorrow, or, sorry, tomorrow, next week, I'll start the sermon tomorrow, but next week we'll be looking more at the, uh, the six days of creation and we'll kind of maybe break that down a bit. Uh, but today I really want us to have just this approach. How do we approach it? And what is really even said here in this, in the very first verse, or the first verses in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is either true or it isn't. And so as we kind of go into this, full disclosure, I do want to be clear that this is not, and I will not be heading into the direction of a lecture on creationism. It's not the approach I want to be taking. I want to be preaching the word of God. This is not what, that's not what we're going to be doing. Uh, I don't want to try and convince you with scientific evidence or kind of uh, moderate. There might be some of that as we go through when I, when I find something interesting, but that's not going to be my approach. Uh, I don't want to just throw you a bunch of quotes at you and scientific facts at you to mull over. That's not going to be what we're going to be looking at. Instead, as we are kind of embarking on this journey going all the way back to the beginning, let's begin with faith. Let's start there. Let's begin with faith and how we approach this with trusting in the word of God and seeking to understand it rather than coming with a preconceived understanding based off of what modern scientists are currently claiming as the origin of life and the universe. I mean, I can tell you already in my lifetime, and I'm only 36 years young, uh, there has been a lot of changes and developments about the age of the earth and the origin of the universe and the origin of life and new theories are emerging but when it comes to creation, I would say then we have two possibilities. We can come with speculation or we can begin with revelation. Either it's speculation, and there's nothing wrong with speculation, there's nothing wrong with science trying to understand the origins of life and the origins of creation, but we can begin there or we can begin by a trust in the revelation of our creator God. And I would just encourage you to do that. And something that really challenged me, actually, that's been on my heart all week, I might even bring this up again throughout this series because it's something that um, speaks to me when I read through the accounting, and that's Job 38, verse 4. 
It's a different context. Uh, Job, obviously, if you don't know the story, he had some things happen to him, uh, and he kind of feels a little bit like he's uh, had it rough, and he has, and God kind of comes to him and asks a rhetorical question. When God asks you a rhetorical question, don't answer. Uh, and Job, Job has the wisdom for that. But here's where, where God begins when he answers Job. He says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. That is not something you want God to be asking you. But it's really been challenging in my heart. I wasn't there. So let's begin with at least an openness to trust in the one who was there, God. And trust that his word is the inspired word of God. And that it offers us something, a truth, and we'll try to understand exactly where that truth is and what it means and what it looks like. I just want us to come with this openness to trust in the one who was there, because we weren't there. He has chosen to reveal not everything, but certainly a significant amount of creation. And to that I would say, when you read through the, the accounting of creation this week uh, to prepare it for next Sunday, um, I would say you can kind of, something that I think about when I read through it is it's like this, it's like this keyhole approach. It's the accounting of creation is not meant to be a scientific paper. It's not meant to be written out that way. And first of all, even if it was, no one at that time would have understood it at all. It would have been nonsense to them. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I would say even today, I doubt that people would really understand if God had chosen to reveal all the mysteries of creation, exactly how he did it. He spoke it into existence. This is what was happening at the molecular level. We wouldn't even fully be able to grasp it, even if it was written in modern terms. The creation narrative is more a glimpse through a keyhole, meaning God has revealed to us what he has intended to reveal to us what he's intended to have revealed. But it's like looking through a keyhole. You, you see what you see on the other side, but you understand that there's more in the room than what you can see. There's more going on. There's, it's, it's a little bit bigger than what we can fully grasp or get a glimpse of. And that's on purpose. God has chosen to do it that way for his good purpose. And uh, something that I think is good to keep in mind when we look at the, at the book of Genesis is that God spends this much time talking about creation, and he spends a lot of time developing his relationship through the covenant he makes with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People are what really matters, and God's connection with us is what really matters and why it all came into existence anyway. And so when he looks at, when we look at creation, we only get this glimpse. But that in mind, it is a story. It is a story, but it's not a myth. It's not a myth. I do not believe that that it's something to be to be just thrown out as a metaphor. There is some flexibility. I will. I won't. I won't disagree. And I just why there's so many different understandings and opinions, even amongst uh, Christians. A lot of Christian men that, and uh, in, in my commentaries I've been reading, have very varying opinions about specifics. And so I do think there's some flexibility there. Um, but I do think that we can't read it as a metaphor. It's not a myth. It's not just speculation. It's revelation. It's revelation of God. And so with that, let's look at verse 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here is something that we have to lay down as a foundation when we're applying our faith to how we understand and read through Genesis. No matter what you believe on how things proceeded after this point, 
And I know this is when we start to see some variations, right? Even amongst Christians. No matter what you believe happened after this point, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it is absolutely essential to the Christian faith to believe that it is God who brought all things into existence. It is God who brought all things into existence. This is a foundation that, or the foundation that God was there before the beginning, right? He was there before the beginning. All things have their beginning in him. He was there before there was anything. And this is one, one section or one part of the essential doctrine of creation, which could be summarized as God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. But we have to begin there, that God created the universe out of nothing. There was nothing except God, and then he brought all things into existence. Now, the Bible, if you read through the whole Bible, the Bible doesn't really make any attempt to prove that God exists. That's a given. But there's a lot of verses. There's a plethora of verses proclaiming the eternal nature of God that God has always been. I'll read one for you. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth... Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is everlasting to everlasting. He has always been and always will be. For all of the eternity past and into eternity future, God was and is and will always be. There's nothing above him and there's nothing before him. There's nothing greater than him. God is not becoming greater. This was a, a fallacy uh, throughout history where of God kind of being, kind of changing with creation. God is not becoming greater because God is not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. He doesn't need to change because there's nothing above him. There's nothing for him to improve to. He's absolute and he is perfect. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is so important for us to grasp because for anything in all creation to exist outside of God's creation, outside of God bringing it into existence, one Adam that came into existence apart from him and he is no longer God. And he's no longer God. And he's certainly not worth trusting because if one Adam can be rogue outside of his control, outside of his will, then What's, what's to stop the atoms in my body from being left alone outside of his will? Everything is inside of his will. Everything has, been, has come into existence by his will. Nothing exists outside of it. That is an important doctrine of our faith. So that's a foundation. This is essential to the doctrine of our faith, not just in our understanding of creation, but it actually connects with our faith in general. And I would say how you understand this will affect how you trust in the Lord in all aspects of your faith and how you apply faith. Let me read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. First, I'll read Hebrews. So let's start with verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. How many of you knew that verse? That's a good verse. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people know that verse. It's, it's, a, it's one that we use to encourage ourselves, to remind ourselves of, of, of what it means to have faith, and we apply it to the kind of grind of our life. But let's, let's actually connect with 
what, he, what the writer of Hebrews connects it with. In verse two, it says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation, that's their reward through faith in what they could not see, and that includes their understanding and their faith in creation, which it says in verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God brought all things into existence. Before there was anything, anything that could be seen, God brought everything into existence and it connects directly with our faith and our understanding of who he is. So it's important how we read this. It's important how we approach it. When we read Genesis, we might also forget that the Trinity is present. I'm not going to unpack all of that you could say about that. I just want to draw our attention to remind us that though it's not mentioned directly, we only see the mention of the Trinity or and the Trinity is not a biblical word, if you didn't know, it's a doctrinal word. Uh, but we see the aspects of the Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit gathered together in bringing all things into existence there right in the beginning. Obviously, we see God mentioned as Elohim. We see the Spirit hovering over the water. But when we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus is not just a a bystander, he's not just watching, he actually is the force of creation. In Colossians 1, 16, and this is talking about Jesus Christ, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for his glory. So that is Jesus there at the beginning and even before the beginning. What's absolutely clear is there's a beginning, and God existed before the beginning, and everything in all of the heavens and earth came into existence by his word. It wasn't a big bang, it wasn't spontaneous, it wasn't God plus, God didn't need any help. God brought all things into existence. This is what the word of God clearly teaches us. There was nothing, and then there was everything by his will and his word. Now let's tie that in with verse Two, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now there is some interesting theories here that I'll share with you uh, that I, I would say can really make the imagination run a little bit. Um, Though I would say I, I'm going to share this, but I'm not preaching it as doctrine. I'm not preaching this as this is what was or what is, just some things that we can maybe take into consideration. Uh, there seems to be some room for a period of time between verse 1 and verse 2. And this has opened up a lot of different theories, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different concepts. Often, though, they try to use it as a way to explain certain scientific uh, understandings of creation which I would say can be dangerous, but there seems to be some room. Verse two implies some form of creation that exists, right, before God begins to form the known universe in the following six days of creation. That said, that doesn't change what verse one tells us, right, that in the beginning, God brought all things into existence. God created all things, right? It doesn't change that everything came into existence through the word of God. What's interesting is when we consider things like, in other, in other areas of the Bible, I'm not gonna get into all of this because I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this. You can come and talk to me after. I love talking about Genesis, so feel free. Uh, but when we consider, for instance, that uh, the angels witnessed creation, also in the book of Ezekiel, we see this um, 
this kind of image of a great war in the spiritual realm that took place where Satan is cast down and all of that seems to have taken place before Genesis 3 where God says, let there be light and then we kind of see the first unfolding of the six days of creation. And that's why there seems to be some room here and some have taken this to mean that maybe the earth uh, that is without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep describes the remnants of maybe this war that had happened or, or some kind of creation that had kind of been in place before. You can, I think there's some wiggle room there. I wouldn't really have a huge problem if somebody said, okay, but I do think you have to be careful. Again, this is not doctrine. That is speculation. We are kind of, kind of drawing out maybe what we can from there. Uh, but I would say that there does seem to be that kind of room for time period, a time period there. Uh, so take with that what you will. Take with that what you will. I would only challenge you or encourage you to be cautious that if it's if you take it too far, it becomes problematic. Some have used this, for instance, to explain the fossil records and say, okay, uh, if we have fossil, if the earth is this old according to the word of God and uh, we have fossils that supposedly are older than that based off of our dating then maybe that was in that time period, or I would say that that can't that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with the narrative because when he finished creation, he said it is good, which means there was no death. There was no death in creation, and so you have to kind of uh, see how that might fit. But I do think there is some room there. So I'll just give you that. Try to you know expand the intrigue of your mind when we're looking at the Book of Genesis. Now. When we get to the last of verse two, this is where I really, I want to spend a little bit more time in kind of unpacking what this means and what it tells us about the nature of God. It says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that word hovering is interesting. Um, it's the same word used as a, for like a mother hen protecting her young. It's also a word used elsewhere in scripture for an eagle coaxing its, uh, its kind of a younglings out of the nest to learn to fly. And so we see this image of God kind of shielding and protecting and also preparing what he is about to form into the universe, hovering over it. For out of this would come all of his creations, all living things, and most importantly, his people. Most importantly, his people would come out of this. God wasn't sitting in eternity bored thinking, what am I going to do this week? Maybe I'll just create a universe. There was a purpose. See, God didn't really need us. God didn't need anything in creation. He certainly didn't need us. He didn't need anything that he created because he was perfect in his existence before creation, which is why I mentioned the Trinity, that we see this perfect communion between the the. Uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I'll, I'll point out what Jesus says, and this is in his priestly prayer in John 17. Uh, I find it really just this kind of passionate way that he describes it. This is Jesus talking or praying. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work, and that's, that's that purpose that we're going to get to in a second here, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he's looking back and he's talking about this glorification, this relationship between God and the Father. Sorry, between God the Father and the Son that has always been, that has always existed. The three in one perfectly glorifying one another in perfect love with one another and eternal unity and community forever. 
They didn't need anything. God brought all things into existence for his good pleasure and for a good purpose. That's what we see right there in the beginning. That God created all things. Everything is created first and foremost to bring glory to the name of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? As we read in our call to worship. And the, prince, the pinnacle of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation was to create for himself a people. A people to have fellowship with for all eternity. Though God doesn't need us, he loves us. And he saw that all the way back in the beginning. All that he created was out of his love, his goodness, his grace, and for his purpose. And here's where it gets important for us. In the beginning, there was God. Meaning before there was anything, before creation, before he began to lay the foundations of the world... God was there, and, his, and in his heart, he decided to, with purpose for creation, he already had in mind those who would belong to him. In his purpose for creation, he already had in mind those who would belong to him. That's not my words. That's what the Bible teaches us. God's plan for salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ was always the plan. It was always the plan. He knew what he was doing before he laid the foundations of the world. Let me go through a few verses, and there are many more. Let me look at a few just to show you what I mean here. Titus 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So that promise of eternal life, of salvation, was there promised to those who would follow him before the ages began, before time began, as the Spirit hovers over the water in that image we see in creation already, all of humanity, all of human history, including the salvation of those who were chosen to belong to him, was already in view. 1 Peter 1, verse 20, for, sorry, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And he's talking about those who belong to Christ for the sake of you. Jesus was revealed in God's perfect timing for our sake, set in motion before creation. That plan, that purpose was set in motion before creation. Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It actually goes on in love, predestined, adopted in Christ, according to the purpose and will of God. Ephesians 1, verse 9 through 10 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is an image of the big picture, right? God looking from eternity and seeing the fullness of time from beginning to the end. 
and having a plan in the fullness of time for salvation in these mysteries that are now revealed. So we're going to see that when God finished his creation, it's a good creation. It's perfect. It's without sin. But God didn't want to make us into robots to live in the garden without choice. So he gave free will to humanity, knowing full well that they would rebel, knowing full well that we would fall into sin and rebel against God, already setting in in motion a plan for salvation. This was not a surprise to him. Jesus wasn't plan B. He was there at the beginning in creation, knowing exactly what lay ahead. Your name was written before the foundation of the earth, according to scripture, when you belong to Jesus Christ. All those who belong to Jesus have been called, adopted according to the purpose and will of God. This is what the Bible teaches us. When Genesis was written, the mysteries were only the beginning, right? And it was... There was, they didn't know exactly what all of this meant. They didn't know what was going to happen. But now we do know. Now we live in a time when these mysteries of his will have been revealed in the New Testament, right? We see the revelation of Genesis in the New Testament as things have been revealed, these mysteries about creation, about what the purpose is. We know the purpose. We know what God was setting in motion as he laid the foundations of the earth He was preparing it for his people. In the book of Revelation, if we really step back and look at all of human history according to the word of God, we see an eternal God who in his good purpose creates all things with the intent to make for himself a people who can share in his perfect love and unity that he already has in himself as the Trinity. The book of Genesis and the book of Revelation mirror one another, actually in a lot of interesting ways, which we won't have time to unpack. Uh, But Genesis shows us this perfect creation. It shows us a universe that is being lit by the very presence of God, right? As God says, let there be light, there's there's no sun or stars at that point. It's God's glory that is shining into creation and a garden with a tree of of life for his people to live eternally with him in communion. And then in Revelation, we see a city mirroring this image of the garden, which is also lit by the very presence of God and a tree of life for his people to eat and live eternally with him in his presence. So we see God's plan when we look at the beginning and we look at where he's bringing all things to an end. We see the purpose. It's so he can have communion with his people. But it wasn't that we, that, that he didn't know what was going to happen. It wasn't that, that we, we screwed it up too bad. God knew who would belong to him from the very beginning. We need to understand these first chapters of our Bible in order to understand all of the Bible all the way to the end, especially in connection with God's purpose and plan for his people. And that applies to us every day as we walk with him. God's purpose, God's plan for salvation didn't start with the Gospels. God's plan of salvation didn't start with the Gospels. 
or with King David or the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God chose you before he created a single thing. This is what the word of God says. The New Testament is clear. Those who belong to the Lord have been predestined before the foundation of the world. That's not my words. That's the Bible. Make no mistake, when we belong to him, we have an assurance of our salvation, a confidence, a conviction in the things that we have not seen. We have faith that God created the universe through his word and everything that came came from him in his creation for his glory and his good purpose and his will, he has seen fit to call you a son or a daughter. That's a glorious truth. And when we begin to grasp that, this is what I mean, when we begin to understand what the Bible is really saying and we see the Bible all together and its great truth and the purpose and plan of God for salvation, it brings such peace and hope and encouragement to our hearts to know that we belong to him. And it is with his purpose. When we read through the creation narrative, it's not about us. I want to be clear about that. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about bringing glory to God. But we can also find great joy in the realization and the revelation that our names were already written down that I already had been chosen to belong to him in eternity before the foundation of the earth. And that's all we're going to get to today, unfortunately. So stay tuned for next week. But I do want to encourage you, if you are like really challenged by some of that stuff or you're unsure about some things, I, I hope that you will stay with me as we go through the texts in the following weeks. And as we go through some challenging texts, as we, as we will, uh, and narratives, I just want to encourage you to really seek to understand the purpose, to understand what God is trying to say, understand his word in its truth. And then my encouragement, again, from earlier, that we would approach it with this heart of faith, that God's word is true, it is trustworthy. To have faith in the truth of God, the purpose of God, and the authority of his word. Amen.